Happy Monday, recorded during the Plague Year 2020. This is the Andromeda Minute. Yeah, each week we get together to talk about the all-too-timely 1971 Robert Wise-directed techno-thriller, The Andromeda Strain, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TV Dads, The Rocketeer Minute, The Apollo 13 Minute, and Airport Minute. And I'm Brian Fees, your co-host for the day. Uh, I'm a writer and cartoonist. I've done work such as A Fire Story and Mom's Cancer. Brian, thanks for being on the show. It's it's always great having you on because uh, we can talk narrative strategies and the way the way things look. And uh, you know, you and I, being of an age, uh, we both experienced this as kids, and and it still it, it still holds up. I think after all these years, I I loved the movie, and I also loved the book. The book was very influential uh, to me, particularly in its use of of type as a graphic element. You know, the the way it yeah. would type out the uh, the figures of of people or you know, Rius monkeys running around the lab. Um, uh, that had a big influence on me as I kind of went into my cartooning career, this idea that that typography was a piece of art. It was part of the artwork. And you do use, I, I'm thinking particularly of uh, Whatever Happened to the World of Tomorrow, uh, your great uh, graphic novel. Uh, you used a lot of uh, quote-unquote found art, found evidence of, uh, of things that, that hold up the verisimilitude of the story that you feel like, eh, it could be real. This looks like... A piece of evidence that that this has actually happened in the past. I appreciate that. You know, that's the kind of thing that you you put into a work um, that you're hoping the reader gets subliminally without being conscious of it. If if the reader's too conscious of, oh, gee, look at the, uh, I, I recognize that street post from 1939, uh, then you kind of failed. But if it's just a background element, like so much in film, uh, you know, they say in special effects in film, if you rec- if you Notice the special effect, the special effect uh, person has failed. And I feel that way about that kind of background, too, in my work. Yeah, and uh, this uh, this film, I, I think it had a lot of influence on me on what I liked in science fiction. I didn't prefer fantasy uh, stuff. This is the, the, the harder the science fiction, the better it felt for me. And this is definitely, I mean, it has such a, uh, it rings real. And I think you see that later in, uh, Michael Crichton's later work with Jurassic Park. It's not totally implausible that you could you could see somebody putting together uh, DNA to build a dinosaur. And so it it feels that it, it has that feel that yeah this could happen. Oh, absolutely, especially with the Andromeda strain, I think. Yeah, uh, and having having Robert Wise at the helm here, it's very much an old an older style of uh, of storytelling. Uh, and uh, we were talking before off the air that this is a uh, very much of the 40s feel it has almost a radio play feel to it especially this minute yeah i and i love first of all i love robert wise i love his work um and he makes some uh very interesting and i think very smart storytelling choices that we're going to be talking about all week yeah he uh he knows how to, he knows how to get from point a to point b without being too too much on the nose i mean there there are a couple of instances in here where you you realize oh this is really exposition time but he <laughs> He he does a good job in this particular minute where we're we're listening in. We're kind of eavesdropping on what's going on in a secret uh, government facility at Vandenberg Air Force Base. Yeah, yeah, um, very much. Well, well, let's let's lay out this minute. Uh, we have uh, our two uh, our our two Air Force men out there in the field in Piedmont, uh, driving through driving through the downtown section of Piedmont. We're not seeing them at all. All we're seeing is uh, the classic oscilloscope because an oscilloscope means there's voices on. <laughs> That, that we're listening to. It, it also means there's there's science involved. Yes, yes, it's very sciencey. 
so the uh, uh, we're lis we're listening in and uh, we're here we're hearing them. And it's also a very uh, economical uh, way to show things on film. You don't have to film anybody driving through a town at night. You don't have to do a lot lots of camera setups. All you have to do is listen in on the audio. Uh, remembering that Robert Wise uh, started his career as an audio engineer. He was an audio editor before he did film. So it, I think the sound is very important to him on this. Um, and we're getting a lot of a lot of stuff laid out uh, in that radio play format where uh, you know did you see that lieutenant and did you you know did you hear that what what's that ha what's that body doing there that kind of stuff <laughs> well this is this is minute is is so much a radio play a radio drama and deliberately so we, you know what what we can imagine is so much scarier than anything the filmmakers could possibly show us um, and and I, I wonder if for me, it very strongly, and I wonder if deliberately evoked Orson Welles's War of the Worlds radio play, because as we hear, you know, this this radio announcer, it's like it's like the radio announcer is reporting on the strange meteors that just landed near Grover's Mill, New Jersey. You yeah. know, it's it's almost exactly the same idea of, um, I'm in this strange place, I don't know what's going on. Oh my God, what's that over there? You know, <laughs> and and it's it's that it's a radio play, and it's just so dramatic and wonderful. Yeah, and there's so many. Um, it's it's something that they want to run away from. You know, there's so there's these odd things of seeing bodies in the streets, and what are we going to do? And what should we do, Lieutenant? And uh, the fellow back at the at Vandenberg is you know, pulls out a, a book of rules and says, "Well, your orders are that you must proceed and pick up the you know retrieve the satellite no matter what." So, <laughs> well, and I love that. And again, as we sort of uh, touched on this, speaking privately before we started recording, um, to me. The whole movie, the whole Andromeda Strain movie, is is what's called competence porn. It's about yes. um, very smart, very capable people working together to solve a problem, and I I love that strain of science fiction of just good people doing their best to to work the work the problem, like Apollo 13, for example, yeah, um, which yeah. isn't science fiction, but you you get what I mean. You know, that's that's the best in the world solving this problem, and a lot of Andromeda Strain feels like that to me, but not this minute. This minute is. Uh, people who aren't the best in their field getting caught with their pants down and trying to figure it out. So when the officer pulls out that little book of orders and says, proceed to satellite and retrieve, you see, and the way Wise has shot this, you see in everybody's eyes that that's just not going to work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They realize that yeah. order is not up to this situation. Yeah. And, th th things are bad, and this sounds like it's going to make it just a little bit more worse. Yeah. Going by the book is not going to work uh, it, here. We've got to, you know, we've got to be a little more creative. But they don't know that yet. They're going to learn it, but they don't know it yet. Yeah. And and it, 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 it it's a nice reflection on, um, I mean, the audience seems to be part of all those other airmen that are sitting in mission control. And they're all like getting up and going, uh, this isn't working out for us. And uh, Comro, the man in charge, says, stay at your stations and and hit that security, you know, lock it all down. So it, yeah. it, it de definitely an Apollo 13 situation. There's there was a neat moment at 14 seconds into the, into the movie where I thought there's a guy sitting there in glasses, one of the uh, uh, airmen sitting in the bunker in it with who's wearing glasses. And and he makes a motion that at first I thought he was reaching for his sidearm. I thought, well, that would have been a really neat moment of subtly conveyed panic. Like, what is he going to shoot? But I watched it like five or six times, and I think he's just gripping his armrest. But he makes this this quick motion at, that that just it struck me as very human, almost you know a, a controlled panic kind of thing. Yeah, it looks like he's about to like let me lunge from my chair and run out to my car. Um, yeah, 
he's ready for action, but there's nothing to do. Yeah, I, I keep thinking of. Uh... I mean, this is much later, uh, later in the uh, in the decade with uh, Steven Spielberg on Close Encounters when they're talking to the ship at the end. And in the middle of it all, one of the technicians gets up and like runs to the uh, porta potty <laughs> that's, that's in right. the middle of the place. <laughs> that's right. Danger stations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This feels like I got to hit the head. I'll be back. Um, but it, yeah, there I do love the, the look of surprise and shock on them because this is definitely not going to plan. This is uh uh, it, it, all these, uh, you know, in, in a narrative strategy, it's it's the uh, the simple turn that something something goes that doesn't go according to plan. I mean, we see that in things like uh, Wrath of Khan, with uh, you know, where where the the Reliant is approaching the Enterprise, and you're you're yeah. expecting to be one happy thing, and then everything goes to hell. And that's, I mean, we're we're looking at it about to go to hell, and they all know it's about to go to hell. So. Right, 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 very much uh. so. Um, but I, I like the danger stations when the red red sign lights up, and and because for me, that's the moment that the the people in the bunker kind of get over their shock and and they wake up. You know, it takes yeah. them forty five seconds or so to get their bearings, but now they're they're in action, and it's 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 get me Major Manchuk, and <laughs> and uh, you know the gears of competence have begun to turn by yes. the end of this minute. Uh, agreed, and they. Uh, one of the, one of the other things that I keep noticing is there seem to be an awful lot of people there for the. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, although although I'm I'm assuming that uh, I, I mean they really don't give you much in the way of backstory other than we know Scoop Seven has landed somewhere and right. then somebody must have found it and they have to they have to track where it where it came down. And uh, I had talked earl- in an earlier minute about how this was based on uh, the ironically named Corona satellite. Uh, which was a spy satellite that was picked out of the sky uh, by parachute. So apparently, Scoop Seven was a miss. They they didn't they didn't catch it. Either it came down in the orbit a little too early, or they didn't quite tra- track it so well. So it had been away from them for a while, at least long enough, as we're going to find out later, for somebody in town to pick it up and start messing with it. Right. Um, but having all these people on staff, it doesn't seem like. I mean, like the job at this point is, well, we're going to go pick up the satellite, and I don't think you need a room full of people, but you do need a room full of reactors. So that's <laughs> that's what we have here. Well, you know, my, my we all bring our own inferences to these things. My my uh, take on the number of people it didn't strike me as odd because I thought maybe this wasn't the only satellite they had to worry about. Like this is these guys are the satellite recovery team, and maybe there's okay. you know three or four other things up there that are coming down in the next week and. We've got to, you know, keep an eye on them. Uh, but I, that, that, that point didn't bother me. But uh, I, I get what you're saying. I think you're right. Yeah, and it's it's nice seeing the old, uh, the, the 70s tech that we grew up with, the uh, ASR 33 style of, uh, of teletypes. Oh, <laughs> I love that. it. I All love it yellow so paper. You can... Well, and you have to cast your mind back because you really, you know, this stuff looks primitive to us now, but you have to be able to project yourself back in time enough to realize that this looked high tech this looked like the bridge of the enterprise and you know 40 50 years ago uh, it, it was this was modern it wasn't antiquated yeah and uh i mean those gigantic uh ibm pen plotters in the background if you look at old pictures of the goddard space flight center and things like that that's all you see in the whole back wall is nothing but pen plotters showing uh trajectories and and drawing all kinds of you know fourier diagrams um, no, I, that, I used some of that stuff, and I know you probably did too. Yeah, uh, back oh, yeah. in college and you know early jobs. I mean, that was that was what we did. That was yeah, what we used. Yeah. 
I still want to I still want a console with buttons and a and a telephone. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know what I'd use it for, but I just want one in a room and it and it needs to blink and alternate and things like that. But just well, speaking of tech, if I may, um, sure. I, I noticed one more thing that I thought uh, Wise or the screenwriters did a really nice job of setting up very early. We see it in this minute is this close, almost symbiotic relationship between people and their technology, uh, which will carry through the film. Uh, for example, you know, the, the, the guys out in the van, we don't see them as people. They're, they're a voice from a speaker, and they're a blip on an oscilloscope, uh, you know, and, and, and that's, that's how we relate to them as people, is through the technology they're using. And this is going to come up again and again through the movie, is, is this relationship between people and the tools they use. I think it's, it's kind of set up very neatly here. Yeah, it's uh, this uh, this view of a mission control that they have there. Isn't that too dissimilar to the glove box that we're going to see later on at, at the wildfire center? That there's you know there's things happening behind a window. There's people manipulating controls in front of you, and whatever they're doing, we might not know what they're what they're doing at you know as we're watching this. But it looks like these guys seem as you were saying competent. So uh, it's kind of like watching if you go to a. Uh, uh, a jewelry store and you watch somebody resetting a diamond or, or blowing mm. glass or something like that. It, it's very art, art, artisan. Yeah. Uh, and, there's there's uh, a craft to it. Yeah. I, I don't uh, want to overanalyze it because I think I'm a, I, I think that comes easily to me. But uh, I also noticed it's probably just a piece of set dressing, but there's a door there that has a window and through the window we can see kind of a orange glowy, you know, there's a room behind that door. And to me, it, it sort of reinforced the feeling that we are in a place away from the outside world. Through that door is the outside world that's glowing in a warm color. In here, it's all blues and grays and greens. It's all it's all dark in here until you know it turns red because we're we, we light up the danger sign. Yeah, um, and and we have we have the choice to pull up the drawbridge or not in that in that particular minute. And that's, that's yeah, it's pretty much done. So the the outside world is is closed off at that moment. And uh, you, all these guys are kind of trapped with the with the folks out at the scoop recovery uh, van. Oh, very much so. And I hadn't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Those guys know that any one of them could be the guys in the van. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> this, it's it's terrible. But you really, I, as a kid, I always thought this would be part of my life that I would have to, you know, shut down. <laughs> shut down the outside world or things like that but i've worked in i've worked in secure environments and i'm sure you have as well but it it just feels like this seemed like when i was when i was growing up that this would be a natural part of life that you'd have to you know turn off everything and what we're what we're going through at this time of the recording is kind of like that that we're you know Mm. we have to be under quarantine and and it's it's weird the identification that you start feeling with some of the stuff boy that is so apt and it's it's uh i loved your intro about you know the uh, podcast in the time of plague or whatever you said yeah. because it sure feels like that and uh there just couldn't be a better time to do the andromeda strain minute than right now so i'm glad you're doing it yeah it's um i <laughs> i don't like the reason for doing it but it, it i this movie seems to have a lot more relevance than it than it's ever it's ever had before um i i don't know you know it, it, you start wondering about the reality like you were talking about the, with uh, competence porn that you you hope everybody is as competent as the people in this thing and and there are people in here that have different levels of competence you see you know the well the the, uh, the pilot that drifts over a, um, a secure area and things like that um but uh, that seems to be the the exception more than the rule in this movie. So I think this is not, 
this is not real life, but it's how we hope real life turns out to be, which I guess all fiction is. Yeah, yeah. Well, the verisimilitude of this whole film in this minute is just terrific. Um, you know, I, I have not spent a lot of time on Army or Air Force bases, but I've, I've seen enough to know that this is what they look like, you know, with the with the the identical metal desks and the little notebooks inside tidy drawers and and uh it you know it's it's just uh and, and the same holds true when we when we get to wildfire later even though it's this wild sci-fi set of you know big tauruses stacked on top of each other it feels real yeah yeah it really does I, it's, it's funny just before the uh just before all of our, our current quarantine lockdown happened uh i was fortunate enough to be invited to uh Lockheed Martin to see where they're building the new uh, F-35 fighters, which um, I, I was also fortunate about 20 years ago to work on the original um, proposal uh, project for that. And I, I never thought, you know, as several decades went, went by that I'd ever see, you know, these actual ships being built on an assembly line. But uh, I got in and it, the security is pretty steep. I mean, you have to leave, you know, leave your cell phones behind and they, they, badge you in you have to like sign all kinds of forms saying that you're not going to tell anybody or do anything you know odd in in the place um but you feel extremely in you know in a in a sterile environment and uh there's a mile worth of uh of f-35 fighters being screwed together and bolted together and laminated and whatever um but it's nice knowing that somewhere there is a uh, that they actually are able to make these places secure even on on, on that scale well, um, wouldn't we all like to think so? Yeah. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I'll tell you, I, I hadn't in, intended to make a note about this, but watching this minute and the next couple to come up, I couldn't help but think of the opening titles of Get Smart. Yes. Where Maxwell Smart walks through, you know, 57 <laughs> doors that clang and bang and slide and swish behind him. And, and uh, you know, especially later on when we go yeah. into Wildfire. But this, too, it's just like uh, it, it's – almost comical in it it's almost a, par- a parody not yet but it's almost a parody of that kind of you know procedure yeah, and, and we'll, we'll be talking about that in the, in the next couple of minutes but the the thing i always wondered about was all these arcane things that they have to do uh i wonder if that's actually for security or is it because all these guys kind of sat around smoking pipes and going you know what we should do we should have a special code <laughs> and a secret word and a, it, it just they, they they read too many spy novels you know <laughs> They were going to these meetings saying, yeah, and then we're going to build this, and you're going to have to put your handprints in, and you're going to have to have a secret code word. To, uh, but yeah, we'll be we'll be talking more about that in the in the very near future. I think um, that's one thing Crichton did well. I you know he just I I can imagine him just sitting there typing and just smiling with the stuff he was coming up with. <laughs> it is it is an it, it's it's a great this is a great roller coaster of a of a movie. I and mean, this is the kind of movie that you you go in and you know you're going to see a lot of slam bang action and uh, different thrills and stuff. But you also get it gets you to ponder bigger questions like what you know how much how really prepared are we for this and it gives you it gives you uncomfortable questions to to ponder in your head. Well, we know um, the real world answer is not at all, which is yeah. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so this might be you know some kind of catharsis, like well, somewhere somebody knows what to do. So exactly, <laughs> it's hopefully. Um, well, uh, let's continue on with this on on Wednesday if we could. Uh, for folks who have missed previous episodes, they're always available out there on the on the web. You can find them on our big site at androbinaminute.com. You can also get them on uh, Apple Podcasts or uh, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever wherever you get your podcasts. That's we probably have a catcher that you can uh, you can pick up our show. 
if you'd like to talk back with us, we're always available on social media. Go to uh, Project Wildfire on uh, Facebook or at, uh, of course, Andromeda Minute on Twitter. And uh, always happy to hear from people listening in and, and hearing your thoughts on uh, the movie that we're talking about. Brian, where can people find your uh, works? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook, but best place is probably my blog, Brian Fees, B-R-I-A-N-F-I-E-S dot blogspot dot com. Perfect. And it, great writings and years worth out there. And uh, always a, a pleasant diversion uh, in these times that we're recording these in. Uh, but come back and join us here uh, Wednesday. In the meantime, wash your hands, stay away from uh, other folks, and uh, we'll all get through this together. So we'll see you here next time on the Andromeda Minute. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.